Rooted in Revenue with your host today, Susan Finch. Hey everyone, Susan Finch here, your host today for Rooted in Revenue. And I'm very privileged to have somebody that I respect on the show today. Jean Hopkins, I have known you since your days at HubSpot. And I've walked with you on your journeys and always had so much admiration for the way that you can see things from so many perspectives when you land somewhere. So welcome. Thank you, Susan. Thanks for inviting me today. I know that it's tough for companies, especially startups Mm -hmm. and newer companies, when they realize they need extra help Mm -hmm. and it's a stretch for them to hire that big piece that's missing. Sometimes that's the one piece that can have it all make sense and stop the waste and implement something new. How does that feel when you're, I mean, you've brought so many industries of experience and you bring that to everything that you do. Mm -hmm. How difficult is that to slip in? Well, part of the process of actually interviewing the organizations that you might go to is how difficult will it be to be able to execute your playbook? right? You want to make sure that if they have a playbook, will my playbook work for them or not work for them? And these are all discussion elements that you do in your due diligence before you join a company. And I believe strongly, you know, whenever I join a company, the first thing I like to look at is the budget. I want to know where the money is currently being spent. I want to look at the database. I want to look at recency. What do they have? How are they working it? What are they doing with it? I want to look at their customers. I want to know Why are the customers staying? Why are they leaving? I want to look at the product and I want to look at the team. And I have been lucky enough to have worked for and have people work for me that I've worked with many times before. So I can bring a team, I can bring a posse, I can bring my vendors that I trust implicitly to an organization and kind of get up and running very quickly because by the time they bring somebody in like me, they are in a hole, right? They need activity. They need traction right away. And I can do that quickly because I have people like you in my stable of excellence in terms of contractors and vendors and people that I depend upon in order to do my job well. I find sometimes different personality types lend themselves to being receptive and accepting and other types feel threatened. I had a client recently that I was probably a little too truthful with what I was observing Mm -hmm. and made some recommendations. And it came back to me that, how dare you tell me? (laughs) And to me, I was being protective. It's like, oh, please don't spend that money with me because. Right. And it was received that I was telling them how to run their business. And isn't that odd? And I didn't see that one coming. Oh, my goodness. did not mean to sound disrespectful. (laughs) I was really caring for you. Right. So that you can accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. So we can shift the focus to where from an outsider's perspective, I see the missing pieces that might not make it as appealing to the public. And that's a tough place to be. You and I are both very direct. Yeah. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Yeah. But the thing that we also have in common though, that directness, it's also coming from the right place. It isn't for our own egos. It isn't for the win. (laughs) That isn't it at all. No. It's how can I validate the trust you have given me? Right. 
by guiding you based on my experience, observations, that of my team, of my other clients, because sometimes I'll bring other clients like, hey, what do you guys think of this Uh to get other perspectives? But bringing all that is part of the value add, especially for somebody like you. I mean, my gosh, your connections and your experience. I am lucky that I have a very strong network. And I am lucky in that regard. I do consider myself, but I also go out of my way to help others. You know, I'm always there for a referral, for a reference. I have some of my vendors, like they need me to be able to say, why do you use this product? Because they've got investors that are looking at it. And I have done that consistently for a long time. And I also work very hard on making sure that I do recommendations for people via my LinkedIn profile and being able to help out to the best of my ability. I get a lot of people that reach out to me. They're looking for a new position, whatever. And I consider myself kind of a connector, like Mm -hmm. I can connect this person and that person. So it becomes something great when they're together. And I feel that is a responsibility, but it also getting out of my own way, you know, and making sure that I'm older. And as a result of that, in the years of experience, I try to help the team members to be not tell them what to do, but coach them on something they might think about doing. And I had an email this morning and um, from Kaylee, you've met Kaylee. She's a lovely person. I had an email and I, I sent it back and I said, you know, you probably want to tell Tim about this. And, and she's like, ah, good call. I wasn't going to copy Tim. I wasn't going to say, I was just saying you probably want to do this. And, but it, it places the level of trust back with her and gives her an insight that she might not have thought about yet and right. that's 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 the coaching aspect of I things and not na- not taking on the responsibility of doing everything myself you know i in managing <clears throat> you know you you can manage you can lead you can coach and they're all different styles right they're all different things that you have to do at different times in in a person's career and sometimes people fall off you know their their trajectory for whatever reason and you know personal issues whatever it is and trying to get them back and get them to be able to see that this is not working out for them and i i remember i had a guy working for me finally i took him aside one day and i said you know you really want to think about not wearing plain white t-shirt every day in the office, okay? Because you're a professional, you're a director level person. And while I appreciate the casualness of this, what it looks like is you don't care about your appearance. And he needed to hear that, not in front of other people or anything like that, but he needed to hear that. And so he started buying golf shirts and, and wearing those in the office, which just gave him a level of professionalism Mm -hmm. that the white t-shirts were not doing. So these are the things that you need to be able to help people out with. I I was telling somebody the other day that when I worked at Symmetricom, I had a uh, young sales guy, 22 years old, Dan, great guy, awesome personality, absolutely outstanding. We're flying from Boston to DC. We're going into a government event. It's, you know, and it's the shuttle, you know, the whole thing. But when you're on that plane, who are you with? You're with lawyers, you're with lobbyists, you're with salespeople. And he wore the backwards ball cap, the board shorts. (laughs) And I said to him, I'm like, Dan, 
You never know who you're going to meet on a plane. Yeah. I'm not saying you have to wear a suit and a tie, but you probably want to just put on like some chinos and a golf shirt or something like that, because you could be meeting a prospect or a potential customer. And people don't realize that. They don't think about it necessarily in those kinds of terms. And I hate having to say that to someone. But on the other hand, who else is going to tell them, right? right? You don't want this poor kid to continue doing this uh, ad infinitum and in impact negatively impact his career options down the road because nobody had taken the opportunity. I've worked with some people like when I've hired people, they don't know how to quit their previous job. So you have to kind of talk them through. You want to send a resignation letter. You want to make sure you tell your boss first. You want to do this. You want to make sure that you do this. You never burn a bridge. Ever, ever, ever burn a bridge. Make it as professional and high level as you possibly can. And these are things that are not necessarily taught anywhere, but these younger people need some of this kind of advice in order to help them in a business situation. So I work hard on trying to be accessible and also not inserting myself into conversations. You know, I try to keep it at a very high level, but if I see that someone is struggling, I try to make sure that I give them an opportunity to share what's going on so that I can help them. So in that coaching realm, as you have entered, you know, you've been in business for a long time. So you've entered several companies. If you were to give advice or a a checklist, a simple one, for a company who is going to be in need of somebody like you, what should they make sure they have in place first before they even say, let's put it out there, we need somebody. You mentioned the playbook. And for most businesses, gosh, you hope that's in place. But <laughs> Many may not, or they may have something they didn't realize that's what it's referred to as. Could you give some advice for those types of companies? Well, I'm primarily B2B technology. You know, right. that's that's my gig. And it, my playbook is all around creating demand, okay? And there's just some of the absolute basics that you have to take a look at. All of your assets, all of your digital assets, all of your owned assets. That's one of the reasons I like to look at the database and I want to look at the website. And a lot of times marketers will come in and the very first thing they'll do is change the website. Well, I don't agree with that at all because you don't know what's working on the website. So why would you change it? You know, I want to see where the leads are coming from, what forms are converting, what does sales like about the the specific leads. The first 30 days in a new environment has to be what's converting, where are you getting your leads? Is it is it an outbound motion? Is it all inbound that you want to take a look at? Who's rating the leads? Who's looking on the revenue ops side of things? Who is taking a look at what's happening in your CRM? I mean, do you have a rotator? Do you, you know, there's all these little things that are nuances um, that uh, it's the it's the little details that people forget about. And they also forget about on um, their databases are are just um, deteriorating at a very rapid rate now because people are moving jobs. So you could have a database and at the end of the year, 
50% of that database could be no longer valid, but you haven't claimed that database, so you don't know. You don't know if anybody's at the other end of that email and you're depending on that channel in order to reach them. So there's there's a lot of moving parts and it's I, I think that you have to have a strong relationship between marketing and sales and product. And, and that relationship has to be built on trust. And that's one of the reasons that as a marketing person, I won't go into an organization until I have met. And I've turned down jobs because I've been recruited. Everybody loves me. And then my last conversation is with the head of sales and they don't like marketing. I'm like, well, you know, I can't fix that. <laughs> if you want me to do X, Y, and Z, I need the full support of the sales organization to be able to make sure that we're hitting our objectives and being able to do what I need to be able to do. And I think that, so to answer your question, Susan, I'd like to be able to see what is happening with sales. How are you getting sales right now? who's handling the marketing and what is being done and what, what needs to be done. And most importantly, customer success, because what I see happening in organizations is customer success turns into a bolt on. It's not part of any one. I have seen it time and again, ending up reporting to the CEO because it's, Oh, we're customers first and blah, blah, blah. But they don't do any customer marketing. They're not working with the customers They're You're so I want to know like, who's talking to the customers. Do you, are you, is a product led growth? Are you talking in the product to your customers? How are you achieving all of these things? And, a marketing role is important, but it's more important if you're trying to be the glue between all these organizations, internal organizations. So I prefer a company that is on the smaller side, because once you get into much bigger companies, then you get into turf wars. You end up with the, that's my job, that's my job, that's my job. And you're and you're trying to get people on the same page. And I've worked in a lot, and when I say smaller, I mean 100 million, 100 million, 200 million around there. I don't want to work for an Adobe or a Salesforce or something that big because I would be a knit on a gnat and a hole on the bottom of the sea. I'd be nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it would be pointless because... You know, you want me to do things and I can do a lot and I'm not afraid of getting my hands dirty. I never. And by that, I mean, I have built booths. I right. have <laughs> I have dragged things through the streets of New York and wherever I have done things. I would not ask somebody to do something that I was not willing to do myself. And so it's I can fix websites. I can write HTML, I can edit, I, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that I can do, but is that the highest and best use of my time and experience? Probably not, but I want to teach somebody else how to do it, right? right? I think that experience you just touched on, yes, I can do a lot of things too. I don't like doing them, <laughs> but it does help because I can either teach somebody at the client's end right, how to do the thing or on my team or whatever it is. Or I can understand why it's going wrong and whoever they have in place to do those things, I can guide them and say, you know, let's consider this right. or let's run it through this tool and this tool to pinpoint why this is happening. And that extra knowledge of those processes 
the extra knowledge of knowing how to set up a booth, hire photographers, <laughs> set up travel arrangements, all those types yeah. of things. Because yeah. sometimes you do have to do it. And sometimes you have to come in and say, I need help with this. I'm going to show you three people how to get this done. Right. And suddenly they have new skills now too. Yep. Which is a lot of fun. Well, you know, a show brief, right? So we have a show, we're going to an event, you have a show brief, you need to make sure that everybody's on the same page that are you going to meet? Are you going to meet daily so that you can figure out what needs to be done while you're at that particular event? Shows are expensive. They're expensive to attend. They're expensive if you're uh, sponsoring a booth or something. And so the team at one screen, I have a show brief template that I believe in using, and I've been using it for 15 years at least. And as a result, you do that and then you schedule the debrief and so that you have a debrief and you have a debrief after every launch you do, after every major project. What did we learn from this? What went well? What didn't go well? What did we learn from this? And right. then document it. And unfortunately, that simple act of a debrief and knowing that you scheduled the debrief is a way to kind of cement that this is real. This is a real thing that you want to be able to discuss and have a record of. Um, because what if the show is not worth attending? Sometimes right. you end up going to events and it's like, this was a total waste of time and money, right? Oh no, yeah. that never happens. But you know, as events are starting to ramp up again, right? What do you want to see happen? And these are all important considerations that we have to think about as an, in an organization. And it's the processes. You know, I say I have a playbook, but I've made so many mistakes over the years. And, and I've, I've developed these processes and programs and templates to try to keep myself from falling in the holes again. And, right. and I want to be able to help other people not fall in there in the same holes. That's what comes with experience, right? It's all predicated on what people think is important. And I find that what is the goal? And this is in an organization, they don't always know what the goal is, right? They think they do, right? It, yeah. I mean, it's, they think they do, but do they really? Is that the goal? And how will you know when you've hit it? How will you know that it's you've achieved it? There's always this super short term, let's call it a month, okay? And then maybe and then maybe a quarter, maybe a half a year, but what after that? And depending on the size of the company and what they're trying to achieve, they can continue to pivot. And they keep pivoting because they can't establish a cadence that makes sense. There's the lack of consistency in yeah. some organizations is I believe what hurts them ultimately. Yeah. You must yeah. see that. Well, and I see it too. I see it with companies, they, they like to position it that we're just flexible. We roll with it. Like, <laughs> you can't roll with it when it's money. I mean, ooh. Oh, that's funny. And then I, I have another client. I do their conference book for them every year. It's a very small organization. It's a membership organization. There are 400 people. And we've kept notes, Crystal and I have kept notes every year. Don't forget, right. move the deadline back, move it, move it, move it, cut right. them off sooner. All these little things, though, mm -hmm. don't permit so-and-so to do this and have them. The right. If it weren't for all those notes afterward, mm -hmm. and we keep them going throughout the whole process, right. and for her shows and for her conferences and registration, all these different things that I help them with, 
It's the same thing. I watched a fabulous organization in Colorado, the Ruth team, Fairway Mortgage. They put on the next big thing, Colorado, kind of spontaneous. You would have thought they'd been doing it for 10 years. Really? I was was so blown away by every aspect and how much their team had every piece covered. And it was an amazing, it was one of the first in-person events because it was last January. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful. People were so happy to see each other, but the quality of the speakers, the setup, the decorations, the, right. every element made you feel like this was five times as big as it is mm-hmm. and had been planned years in advance. Great. It is. It's, but why but it, did it go so well? Was it the planner? Was it the organizer? It was the planner and mm-hmm. the team members that they picked that they had seen and tested in smaller events. I see. Okay. So they knew their capabilities. Right. And they knew what they were all willing to do. They'd known these speakers. Mm-hmm. It was, I don't even know how to describe how beautifully it came together. Yeah. Because I've been to a ton of conferences that were just, <laughs> show, and you could see that chaos was happening behind and people were freaking out yeah. and there yeah, were fights yeah. going on. Nothing. Wow. But happy, pleased people that nobody could wait for them to say, what's the date for next year? Let's do it. Isn't that great when something, you know, because we've all, like you said, we've all been to conferences where they've run out of food. um, They uh, can't find the lanyards for the badges. Speakers don't show up. Speakers just don't show up. Right. And uh, it's uh, yeah, those are those are not fun conferences. But to have a planner being able to and, and that was a good idea to be able to have them do smaller events so that they know that this is a potential risk. This is a potential fail if we don't make sure that we're monitoring this. It's it's something as simple as greeting people. Yes, It's it's greeting people when they come to your event and they're not quite sure that they're in the right place kind of a thing. And you want to be able to say, hey, welcome to Susan Finch's convention. I'm so excited that you're here. And and being able to welcome people. I remember we did a a conference at HubSpot, one of the very, very early. It wasn't inbound. It was a HubSpot user group. And we did it in the building at 25 First in, in Cambridge. And I stood outside, it was in November, and I stood there and I was shaking people's hands as they came in, come on in. And I made sure I had another person about 10 feet away to be able to point them where they had to go because we were on the third floor of the building at that time. And you could just get lost. (laughs) You know what? You expect people just to wander around for a while. And it's, um, it's, it, and, and again, I was older at the time working at HubSpot. And when I said that's what I was going to go do, it it hadn't crossed anyone else's mind at all. <laughs> you know, you're inviting people to your party. Yes, and, exactly. And, you want, and it, it would be like if you didn't greet them at the front door, right, at, of your house, if you invited them over. Well, right? you saw the need to where it could go awry so quickly just mm. based on the position of it. So you set up that welcome brigade. Mm-hmm. You just pass the buckets of people just to the next person until they were yep. comfortable and knew what they were doing. It's interesting. So I've I've done a lot over the years with like 
you know, celebrities, they could be dignitaries of yeah. government or whatever. And um, ribbon cuttings are like a big thing too. And making sure, cause you're in office buildings at 30 floors up or whatever. And I remember we did this at Continuum and we had the um, uh, Massachusetts uh, head of industry something or other that was was coming for the ribbon cutting and, and doing all that. And I had asked my posse of younger folks uh, to be in, at the office at eight o'clock because the ribbon cutting was at nine and I needed people downstairs in the lobby. <laughs> I needed them upstairs on, outside right. the bank of elevators and I needed them. And they didn't understand how important it was for them to be there at eight o'clock, not nine o'clock. And the thing is in Boston, you know, the, the, the trains are always like freaked out and this and that and the other thing. And I'm panicking because I'm only one person and I'm sort of stage directing this whole crazy thing. Right. And I'm like, where are my minions? <laughs> where are they? I need them. Yes. And I'm not angry with them, right? I'm not angry with them. I'm just like, I can't be in three places at once. In the bank of elevators, there were like eight doors, right? That all opened up into the middle. Exactly. And anybody could come up and get off. And there were two sets of clear doors. So I needed them to come this way. <laughs> and, and that's why I needed people there. It was just, you know, it went off without too much of a hitch. It, 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 all, it all went okay. We cut the ribbon. We did the whole thing. But I had a, a CEO that was a little um, terrifying. And I just was really worried that he was going to go ballistic at some point. And I didn't want him to go ballistic with them with right. my team, right? I, it was just, and, and so what I learned is, I learned at how to, because for a lot of these youngsters, getting to work for nine o'clock was like early for them, <laughs> you know? And when I asked for eight o'clock, you'd think that, you know, don't go to sleep tonight, you know, just <laughs> stay up all night. And, and I realized that I made an assumption that's all on me. It's totally on me. And I should have said, and these are, this is the reasons why. This is why I yes. needed you to be here at that time for those reasons, not because I was trying to intrude on your personal life at all. Right. And so we had the debrief, you know, like, what did we learn from this? And so, like I said, I bring people along with me and they remember those conversations. You know, I could say to Kaylee, Kaylee, remember when that happened and what did we do about it? And, you know, being able to have those kind of things, being able to teach people the why, yeah. I guess, is, is the most important thing. Why do you do something? Right. Oh, being able to step, <laughs> being able to step back, yeah, too, because you have all this experience to be able to remember. I was like, oh yeah, that that different industry, but ooh, I remember that. I remember this, even though it's all B two B and it's all software. Yeah. It there's still different. Yeah, there's always something, and, it, and it's your team too. It's the people yeah. that you work with, you know. And I remember. At Ipswich, I had this huge product launch, huge. And we had 
three, we had three separate products that we were upgrading. We had 60% of their revenue was outside the United States and sold through partners. So we had a partner, a lot of partner training, priceless changes. And we had this huge announcement at an info security event in London. And so everything is like the, the flywheel is turning. And then I get a call on Friday afternoon at 8 p.m. my time in London from the head of product that says, I want to push it off a month. Hey. I'm like, you know, it's, it's kind of like a wedding, you know, in a way, you know, you got all this. And so you have the part, how am I going to do, how am I going to unwind all of this? How, at, 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 it's eight o'clock Friday night where I am right now. And you're deciding at three o'clock Massachusetts time, you want to push this off. And, I, and the thing is, it didn't, have to happen, right? We still could have announced the launch, but he was an individual that wanted full control of things and he wanted the full control. And I'm like, what's the rationale behind this? And he said, I think we need more beta users. And I said, well, what's the number? I mean, how many do you need? And let's try to, you know, maybe figure it out, but you can still launch something without having the thing thing there. Right. You can still announce. And then, I, you know, the thing was, it was like June 6th, right? And if you push it off a month, I don't like launching things in July and August. No, nobody's it's, around. Nobody's around. And it's just not a good time. So, I mean, it's doable. I mean, we just did that with one screen with our directory. Yeah. Um, just put a stake in the ground and just get it done and put it out there and make it work. So Sometimes I think, though, you brought it up as far as explaining the whys, as much as people run companies, as great as they are at being the CEOs, sometimes the term means something different to you, a launch versus a launch to that person. They might think it needs to be 100% ready to go, not realizing there are variations of launches, there are soft launches, but without that knowledge and nobody walking him through that, him, it's either go or no go. Right. Exactly. And so we, rather than fail with the go, we're going to do a no-go. Right. And having something that can translate those fears, those concerns, you didn't have a lot of notice to be able to do that, but being able to do that, I think, can make all the difference and also get everybody a little calmer realizing <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. yeah. You need another 150 beta users? You need another 1,000? Right. Okay. We can yeah. do that. Right. Let's keep going though with what we got. It's okay. Yeah. But you don't know the backstory. The thing right. is, is that if you don't have that level of trust with the executive leadership team, yes. for somebody to be open and honest with you to be able to yes. say, it could have been an entirely different reason. It could have been, I don't know. I could have been a member of the board that said, don't launch. I don't know, right. but we've got a thing and we've got to do something with this thing. And you know what I mean? Yeah. It is a thing. <laughs> it was unfortunate because we had the booth was set up and, you know, the, it was a hard booth, you know, fixed. And we had all this launch stuff on it. You know, we just had a lot of stuff that was happening. It was, it was really tough. It was, yeah. it was, it was not cool. No, but you came through it and with grace. <laughs> I always come through it. <laughs> I know you do. Always. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. Uh, Jean, this has been 
a good cautionary tale, a good bit of advice and for people to realize, don't make it so hard, but be ready. If you want to bring somebody on, you're going to have to open it up a little bit and trust them because how else will they know where you're at if you're not willing to be honest? And maybe even you don't know because you don't look at the stuff because you don't like to. And you can't be that ostrich. You need to be willing to look at the hard things and also accept that maybe some of the stuff you're doing wasn't great or isn't great. But maybe if you're all open to having the common goal of just making it better, nothing finite, nothing little minuscule goals, Right. Just make it better. Right. Yeah. Then you can get there. It's shining a flashlight in the corners yep. to be able to see, because there's, there's always a lot of stuff that's going on, you know, right. and I, one thing I do like to do is things I want to continue doing things I want to stop doing. Right. So you, you need to have these like continue, stop, consider. And there's lots of things that there's no reason that you continue to do things if they're not bearing fruit or you've been doing them for 10 years as an organization, but there's nothing at the other end of it. So stop doing that and let's do something else instead. And I find that reviewing that with the team, what should we stop doing? What should we start doing? And what should we continue to do? And that's a great way to be able to get people to think about things outside of the box a little bit. I'm going to also put that challenge out there, too, to companies that are hiring and firing. When people let people go, there is a huge opportunity to get amazing feedback. Mm. And those same questions could be posed and you can learn from those. And the person who is the one leaving or the one coming in can also bring that same three-level questions for what did you do before? What did you like? Mm. And what were the results of that? Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to be gained and a lot of missed opportunities during transitions. That's a good point. And, you know, sometimes transitions are intentional and lots of them are unintentional. You know, if somebody leaves before you've gotten the debrief, if you will, right. on on what needs to be done, that makes it pretty tough. Yeah. Um, I've gone into roles where the previous head of marketing or head of revenue or whatever has left, and I've reached out to them to try to establish a working relationship with them as well. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Hopefully we can all be professional, though, during transitions, as we talked about before this episode. (laughs) Hey, Jean, your time, your spontaneous time, I appreciate it. This has been Susan Finch with Rooted in Revenue. Go to rootedinrevenue.com. Find us on all your favorite podcast venues. And you can find Gene on LinkedIn. Go look for Gene Hopkins. (laughs) Thank you you so much. Never miss an episode. Check out rootedinrevenue.com and subscribe on the site to get weekly updates of when new episodes come out. Or find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. We want to be where you are. So go subscribe. We'll get you all the information you need to do your best with marketing of events and your online presence.